Existence, the physical universe, is basically playful. Welcome to the Curious Humans podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Miller. Hello, Curious Humans. Today's guest is Daniel, who goes by the name of Grimhood on Twitter. Now, I've been a subscriber to his Patreon account for a good while now, and I was honestly so impressed with his insanely well-researched and in-depth approach that blended knowledge of pharmacology with indigenous systems of medicine and a bunch of other things. And in this conversation, we specifically unpack a handful of these protocols that he shares. This includes a deep dive on all things magnesium, why so many of us are deficient in it, and why you're almost certainly not getting enough, and importantly, how to dose correctly. We then dive into his protocol for dealing with OCD and anxiety, and he talks about the vital importance of seeing sunrise and sunset on a daily basis, um, and much, much more. And just a heads up that this episode does get pretty into the weeds, so it might not be for everyone. But if, like me, you really love going into nerdy detail and depth, then this will definitely be for you. And if you'd like a written summary of Daniel's protocols, then I recommend finding his Patreon page, which is linked in the show notes, and finding even more in-depth resources there. Okay, without further ado, please enjoy this uninterrupted deep dive conversation with the fantastic Grimhood. Okay, welcome, Daniel. Hello. How are you feeling in three words? I'm sorry, what'd you say? How are you feeling in three words? I'm feeling fantastic. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so I imagine this conversation is probably going to go in a bunch of different directions. But uh, something that I like to ask all guests in the beginning is, were you exceptionally curious as a child and... If so, could you tell me something that you were curious about? So what, when I was a child, um, my grandmother was like an art and history teacher at a community college. And then my grandfather was a astronomy and science teacher. So th- those were the subjects that really, really fascinated me was history and astronomy. I was very, very interested. I would like, we would take out the telescope and watch the stars and everything. We would go to like the La Brea tar pits in California to like see the the tar pits and the fossils and everything. Um, and then it, it just expanded from there. Like around age 12, 13, I became like really, really passionate about researching uh, biochemistry and pharmacology and just like biology in general. And then it expanded from there over the last about 13 years. I'm 26 now. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. Amazing. Um, well, I feel like I'm going to learn a lot today. <laughs> I was just, as I was saying, I, I was just seeing a deep dive into all of the protocols that you've been sharing on, on Patreon. Um, but let's, let's maybe start with some of your journey. I, I read in, in one of your posts that you have a, a history with addiction. Um, could you maybe share some of the story as to how you kind of came to do the work that you're, you're doing right now? So, um, I was born to two parents who were both addicts. 
I was around drugs my entire life. And then around age 13, I began experimenting myself. That quickly snowballed into opioid and stimulant addiction. And then I expanded to essentially all the drug classes. Uh, over the next 10 years, my health rapidly degenerated. Uh, I experimented with a vegan diet for about three years. And then I experienced what would be known as marasmus level malnutrition. I was less than 90 pounds at six feet. Um, just extremely unhealthy. My brain and nervous system were rapidly degenerating. Uh, and then I, between the combination of the malnutrition and then the drug addiction, I eventually developed uh, epilepsy. And then from my first grand mal seizure, I had a uh, traumatic brain injury from the seven minute hypoxia. So my body was completely purple. Uh, the firefighters and the ambulance didn't think I was going to make it, but they managed to uh, stabilize me. And then I was put on a uh, benzodiazepine called Valium and then uh, another anti-epileptic medication called Keppra or Leviteracetam. The side effects were extremely severe. It, it, Managed the grand mal seizures, but it, I was still having uh, petite mal and absent seizures on a daily basis, multiple per day. So I reached out to this biohacking group that I was a member of for the last several years um, on Facebook, a private biohacking group. And just to cut it short, I was like, do you guys have any alternative theories of how to restore my brain and stop these seizures? Uh, if there are no options, then, uh, I will probably end up committing suicide because the doctors told me there was no hope. I was in severe pain every single day. Nervous system felt like it was on fire. My cognition was, I could barely think at all. My memory was terrible. Um, and then that, that was very frightening to me because, uh, I had always prided myself on my cognition and memory throughout my entire life. And then having none of that, it was uh, very scary. So there was one person that had reached out. It was like completely against everything that I thought I knew about uh, biochemistry and pharmacology. But it was like a nutrition, herbal, and lifestyle-based approach on how to recover my brain, nervous system, organs, my biochemistry. Um, so it... What really stood out to me was uh, the Hanuman avatar that this person had. And Hanuman had been a figure throughout my life because of my grandmother, who uh, was really interested in Hinduism. So I ended up talking more with this uh, this random person online. I he, he gave me like a full protocol of how to uh, begin to recover my, my body and mind. Um, and I, I began implementing it. I started seeing like some progress with the multiform magnesium saturation. So the magnesium uh, mega doses. And then that, that gave me more hope than the medications that I was on. Cause that's, that helped uh, to really minimize the seizures that I was experiencing. And then um, I began experimenting with the ketogenic diet, more sunlight exposure, pranayama or breath work. Um, prayer and meditation, and then this uh, 
various supplements to replenish the deficiencies that I had been growing so severe in, as well as just to manipulate the biochemistry within the body, and then various herbal medicines that focused on uh, restoring the balance between GABA and glutamate pharmacology and uh, increasing neurotrophic factors or the rate of neurogenesis and synaptogenesis to begin to repair the brain and the nervous system. So that, once I really began to feel like I uh, resolved all of my issues, other people started reaching out to me. And then uh, I ended up getting my health coach cert- certif- certification. I can't talk today. I'm sorry. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, it just expanded from there. And now uh, I made a full recovery in about 2019. Um. The, the first seizures happened at the end of uh, 2017, so about a, a two-year span, uh, one-and-a-half, two-year span. Um, yeah, and now, now I've been able to uh, pay for that knowledge that was shared with me to uh, almost thousands of other people. My, my Twitter follower, uh, my Twitter follower, I can't think of the the, the number of the Twitter followers is rapidly expanding. Um, it, it's it's really awesome to see people are taking back their sovereignty in terms of their health and nutrition, right. and it's it's very beautiful to see. Right, yeah. Well, um, well, thank you so much for sharing the the background to the story. That I, I wasn't aware of the the extent to which um, you'd gone through that recovery process, and and it kind of makes sense to me as well as to. You know, the amount of depth that you go into in, in, in the research that I've seen of yours is, is really phenomenal. Um, and, and I can, it, it just, I guess the dots have been connected for me now. I can see that like the, the desire to get out of that state where you're in so much pain that you're, you know, considering taking your own life. Like that is a pretty friggin' powerful motivator to, to learn about what, how you can heal yourself yeah, and absolutely. how to recover. And thank you very much. Well, I, I mean, I have so many, <laughs> so many questions. Um, I, I think my first, the, the first kind of area I, I'd love to dive in is, is with magnesium. Um, and, and my sense is that if listeners take away one thing from this conversation, it will probably be around magnesium. So, so could you elaborate a little bit on, on why is magnesium important in the body? Why are we generally deficient in it? And how might listeners go about increasing their, their oral or topical intake to counterbalance that, that deficiency? So, all right, th- this, this might go on for a little bit, but, uh, in 2012, <laughs> there fine. was a study done called the magnesome, uh, magnesome was in the title. I, I forget the exact, um, the exact title name, but, uh, it, uh, Rather than like the 325, 600 processes that are frequently quoted by a bunch of scientists, researchers, various articles and studies online, it was found to actually be 3,174 processes that magnesium is responsible for within the human body. But with the understanding of how magnesium binds to adenosine triphosphate or ETP, one of the primary cellular energy currencies within the body, it's crucial for every single process within the body. So with supplementation, uh, most people begin to notice 
vastly minimized uh, inflammation, um, a regulation of their cardiovascular system, their uh, gastrointestinal system, the deeper sleep, uh, regulation of their mood and their, their psychiatric health in general, mental, emotional health, um, better physical performance as it also helps to regulate sodium, potassium, and calcium within the body. So the, the four electrolytes helps to regulate, um, yeah, I could go on and on with the benefits, but that's, that's a, that's a good summary right there. So in terms of how, like the, the issue of why so many people are deficient, there is a, a multitude of factors involved here. So the, the main one is that the uh, soil is becoming depleted of uh, minerals as well as uh, vitamins. So the, there's two factors at play there. Uh, the the agriculture, the modern agricultural practices with monocrop uh, agriculture deplete the, the soil of the uh, vitamins and minerals. But the fertilizers, the pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, they also negatively impact the microbiome and mycobiome, so the fungi and the bacteria within the soil. And then that has a negative impact on how the plants uptake and neutralize or utilize the minerals and the vitamins within the soil. And there's a, a great lack of like use, reusing a uh, compost. They use synthetic fertilizers now called uh, NPK, I believe. Um, that that's one of the main factors is there's much less magnesium within the foods that we've been consuming. The other factors are the major stressors within modern society today. So it's, it's less of an issue if you live like in a rural area with little technology, uh, non-native electromagnetic uh, radiation, the Wi-Fi, 5G, 4G, 0 to 5G, the um, Bluetooth technology, uh, the, the, the artificial blue light, uh, just stress from like pollution within uh, major cities, um, drug and medication use usage. So all drugs and medications uh, because of the magnesium ATP connection is uh, they, they all deplete magnesium specifically uh, along with a handful of other micronutrients as well. But uh, the, the magnesium overlaps with essentially all of them. Um, antibiotic over prescription it destroys the uh, the gut microbiome. So again, like within the soil, the body's less capable of uh, uptaking the nutrients from your food when the gut microbiome is destroyed by antibiotics. Um, and then just like general stress, like people go to jobs that they hate, like pe with people that just annoy them and stress them out all day. Uh, and then just like stressful jobs in general, like uh, manual labor, sitting in the sun, being physically active constantly, and just um, yeah, th th there's not enough focus on nutrition. It's just a lot of people just focus on calorie intake or macros, but the, the micronutrients, I believe, come before all of that because they're also necessary to properly metabolize those macronutrients and the calories. 
So th- th- there's a multitude of factors involved, but um, th- th- that essentially summarizes it up. So hold on, let me pull up something from my notes real quick. So th- there's a there's a handful of foods that still contain a, a decent amount of magnesium. The uh, the charts online for the magnesium or just like nutrient data in general are from, uh, they're not very recent. So it doesn't really account for like the depletion within the soil or anything that's happened more within the last 20, 30 years. So the the primary foods for magnesium content would be things like seafood, specifically salmon and cod, bivalves or shellfish, uh, Roe, fish eggs, animal hearts, snails, hemp seeds, cacao. And then there's like other other foods such as cashews, Brazil nuts, almonds, sunflower, pumpkin seed, chia, flax, uh, mustard greens, collard greens, beet, uh, chard greens, black beans, lentils, chickpeas, oats, barley, buckwheat, quinoa, halibut, uh, and mackerel are another ones. Uh, and then just dark chocolate and unsweetened cocoa. So those are like the primary foods that contain um, pretty decent magnesium content. Um, but with the, all of the factors involved in the, the depletion of electrolyte salts in the water that we drink nowadays, that's another factor that I forgot to mention. Uh, we used to consume uh, primarily spring waters or mineral waters, they weren't originally depleted of all the minerals within the water, like the uh, reverse osmosis water. It's it's just pure water without any minerals in it, or very trace amounts are added back in in some cases. But um, that's another factor. So we used to consume significantly more electrolytes, specifically the magnesium. The sodium was... Uh, it was in about a two to one or one to two ratio with sodium to potassium. So we were consuming a lot more potassium as well. Um, yeah, I, I posted, uh, I posted old pictures of, uh, like, uh, the content analysis examples of old springs and, uh, sources of water on my, my Twitter page in the past. But, um, but those are, those are just some summary examples there. Um, yeah, so in terms of, uh, supplementation, the average people, the average, uh, form that people, mo- uh, most often respond to positively is probably the magnesium glycinate. That one seems to be the easiest on the gut. Some people are sensitive to the glycine component if they have a uh, GABA glutamate imbalance present. So they may experience excitation or poor sleep. They can't stop their mind from racing or they can't stop moving when they're trying to fall asleep. So uh, magnesium chloride or magnesium torate would be more optimal in, in that regard. And then for topical application. So again, with the, the natural water bodies, they've always been very rich in minerals. So when we used to bathe or uh, just immerse ourselves in these natural bodies of water more regularly, that was another form of a topical absorption. So if you live in a major city or just in general away from oceans or natural bodies of water, 
the topical magnesium chloride or the topical magnesium sulfate or Epsom salts is also a really awesome way to get uh, to replenish the magnesium that's depleted by modern life. Interesting. Interesting. I, I've always been a big surfer and I love um, swimming in large bodies of water. And I'd never thought about that as been a potential source of getting magnesium into my body. Yeah. That's super interesting. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I love the ocean as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is, that's, I mean, that's such a great summary. And <clears throat> I think something that really surprised me reading through your protocol was um, around your suggestion, your suggestion of the optimal intake. And I think you said between five to 10 milligrams per pound of body weight. And for me, that's, that's around 2000 milligrams or, or I guess two grams of magnesium, which is, was a lot more than the 350 milligrams recommended by most kind of doctors and, and, and people out there. So yeah, I was just curious if you could speak to like, why do you think that, why do you think that that is? And, and why is it wise to, I think you wrote, find the highest, dose of magnesium to personal indicator as you can functionally manage <laughs> so that, that comes back down to uh the this the higher sources and the ratio of minerals within the the drinking water that we used to have before um the modern purification and stripping processes have occurred so it, it goes back to the work of mildred selig phd she was uh she's known as like the the magnesium expert of the world and uh it, her her guideline was uh significantly higher than that about i think 11 to 22 milligrams per pound of body weight if i recall properly somewhere around there so the, the 5 to 10 is significantly lower and it's more it's more reasonable for the average person who's likely been deficient their entire lives and um it's less prone to the uh, the notorious bowel flush, which is uh, magnesium is very hydrophilic, so it uh, it will bind a lot of water into the intestines, and if if it's not uptaken into the bloodstream and the rest of the body, then it will flush that water through the the bowels. So right, I'm familiar with that as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so. Yeah, that, that pretty much summarizes that. Um, and then the, the, the factors with all the, the modern toxicity today, uh, the body tries to, like in, any of these processes that occur to, for the body to maintain homeostasis, like the TCA cycle, Krebs cycle, uh, the liver detox pathways, so phase one, phase two, glucuronidation, sulfation, they all require magnesium to function properly. Now, when uh, these biological processes are not occurring properly, uh, light is very important for all this to actually run properly, but so are the micronutrients. So if like uh, the, without the magnesium ATP for all of it to run, then uh, problems can begin to occur. And then uh, the, the body begins to uh, break down very gradually. And you, you may not even notice it at first until... Um, it becomes quite severe. Like uh, the, a lot of the diseases that we know of today are are tied to circadian dysregulation, uh, natural light deficiency, and micronutrient deficiencies, as well as uh, metabolic health, hormonal health. But th there's a lot of overlap between all of those. So 
yeah, I think that's a good summary for that. Yeah, that's a, that's a great summary. And, um, just before we get into all of that stuff on a practical note, are there any, <clears throat> any particular brands that you're, uh, that you, you'd recommend? I know for myself, I did a bit, bit of research into this and Mag Breakthrough, um, and also the Ease Spray seem to be two fairly good ones, but I'm curious if there's any that you'd, that you'd recommend for listeners either in the, the US or the UK. Cause I, I know that not all magnesium is created equally or so I'm, <laughs> so I'm told. So. Um, pure original ingredients, the bulk magnesium chloride, it looks like they have the four pound and the one pound at the moment on Amazon. I'm not, I'm not sure about the UK. I, I'm not familiar with any brands there, but, uh, you, you'll want to look for something similar to the pure original ingredients, the magnesium chloride. So in terms of supplements, I tend to prefer, uh, bulk powders because you're, you're paying for a lot of the fillers and capsules and you're paying more for less of the actual content of the supplement. So that that's why I tend to go for uh, the bulk powders or in terms of magnesium chloride, it's typically in a, uh, like a, a salt crystal form. So yeah, that, that, that's a pretty good bet for that one. And then in general, um, there, there's, there's not many magnesium glycinate supplements that you can go wrong with in terms of the, U.S. and U.K. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's that's good to know. Um, so I uh, this morning picked out. I went through a bunch of the protocols that you've been publishing through Patreon, and I picked three that I'd love to just unpack with you and go into go into a lot more detail. Um, how does that sound? Yeah, that sounds good. Cool. So the first one that I'd love to go into is the, the anxiety OCD protocol. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, there's, there's so much here that I found, I found really fascinating, but could you give maybe a brief overview of, um, what you were researching and what were some of kind of the key, the key takeaways and findings? So, the the basis of the anxiety and OCD is the uh, GABA glutamate imbalance. So glutamate is um, the primary excitatory neurotransmitter that interacts with uh, dopamine, serotonin, acetylcholine, uh, various other neurotransmitters. And then GABA, well, yeah, so the glutamate is like the ignition for the brain and the nervous system. The GABA is like the bricks. So it's the primary inhibitory neurotransmitter within the entire body. So what I've noticed is that um, a lot of people are prescribed uh, benzodiazepines for anxiety and OCD specifically, and they seem quite effective. But the downside to those are that it, it hits the brain like a sledgehammer, essentially, in terms of how the potency and the um, addiction or dependency uh, risk factor. So they are very prone to physical addiction or dependency and the withdrawals can be extremely severe if you've been on them for a long time or especially at higher dosages. Uh, and then the potency of the chemical comes down, uh, becomes a factor as well. So like things like alprazolam or Xanax can be uh, very dangerous to come off of, especially if you're not tapering properly. So with, with that in mind, and then, uh, 
Some people have good effect with the SSRIs, so serotonin for OCD specifically, less so for anxiety, but um, it, it seems to be pretty noticeable for the OCD. So th- that I was looking at the pharmacology of the medications that are very common to uh, manage some of those, but they come with their side effects. So I was trying to figure out exactly how uh, serotonin and GABA specifically were produced within the body and all of the factors that go into uh, really optimizing its function. So in terms of, uh, I, 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 I was deeply researched uh, on the, the latest anxiety OCD protocol. I went really in depth until, uh, into how the light influences the eyes and the brain in terms of this balance of neurotransmitters and uh, how the blue light triggers the glutamate and the destruction of how the body or the eyes and the brain recycle back into each other in terms of various uh, neurotransmitters, uh, neurotrophic factors, and so on and so forth. So that was that was a major uh, breakthrough in terms of my whole GABA glutamate theory because I, I understood why it worked, but that there were still some gaps. And then the, the light and the eyes were a major factor in uh, filling those gaps. So um, metabolic health influences the eyes and the brain, but it also influences GABA and glutamate. Hormones do the same. Um, and then the micronutrient deficiencies as well. The microbiome health, it all influences the GABA and serotonin within the body. So from uh, it, it's been very effective in uh, a lot of the people that have messaged me about uh, utilizing that protocol in, in terms of beginning to repair their vision and uh, just the brain and the nervous system in general. I, it, when, when I was initially recovering from uh, my own health conditions, what really uh, motivated me in terms of the supplements and the herbs was that there was not any comparable dependency or severe side effects. Like it, there, there were some side effects uh, like really mega dosing some supplements, but the herbs have been relatively mild uh, compared to the medications that are typically prescribed for those issues. So mm. it is very rare that anyone's dependent on these supplements or the herbs for the rest of their life, as long as they are focusing mm. on the diet, the lifestyle, their right. uh, health markers in general. And right. then uh, that, that usually results in long-term resolution of those issues. Yep. <clears throat> Yeah, that's, <clears throat> that's a great summary. And one of the things that I wanted to highlight that I thought was, was really interesting was how you spoke about these receptor systems and the cellular processes and how connected they are to our circadian rhythms and, and the biology and the mitochondrial function. And that's something that I've not heard spoken about a, a huge amount. And I was also, I was really interested to read your, I guess your description as to why trauma makes us more susceptible to these psychiatric, these, these psychiatric symptoms. Um, like from, from my perspective, I think about it through the lens of incomplete mobilization reflexes that are being buffered in the nervous system, but I didn't realize what the underlying mechanisms were. Um, could you unpack that, that briefly? Yeah. So, uh, there's different brain regions that are impacted by uh, trauma and uh, PTSD or CPTSD. So one of the main factors that uh, 
Well, I had, I had observed it in myself in terms of how I processed my past trauma uh, while I was beginning to repair my brain and the nervous system. And then I began looking towards uh, PubMed and Google Scholar for studies to uh, confirm everything that I was observing. So I, I did come across some studies on uh, trauma negatively impacting the amygdala specifically, the uh, part of the brain, uh, one of the primary parts of the brain for emotional control. So the amygdala is extremely dense in GABA and glutamate neurons. Uh, so that, that, that was a major factor in um, confirming my theories there. But uh, with, uh, with trauma specifically, it creates a, a chronic downregulation of the GABAergic receptors throughout the brain and the nervous system. So the body is more susceptible to a uh, chronic activation of uh, the sympathetic nervous system and other stress neurotransmitters. So cortisol, adrenaline, uh, calcium glutamate, dopamine, and then that can become uh, a very long-term issue with the uh, epigenetic alterations that occur with chronic trauma. Now, the other factor is that um, I, I do believe that the, uh, the negative emotions are stored within the body, but um, I, I couldn't find very much research to back that up. That, that's just, that's one of my theories involved there. But uh, the, the other factor is that the, this chronic stress activation within the body also depletes micronutrients. So by uh, repleting all the micronutrients necessary for inhibitory activity or the parasympathetic nervous system activation, the body's actually able to uh, calm down from that chronic stress state that most people with PTSD are in. And then they're able to better process the trauma that they experienced without uh, the breakdowns, lashing out, maybe drug relapses or anything of that nature. So what I, I see GABA as emotional stability. And uh, th there, there should be a fine balance between GABA and glutamate. But in terms of a lot of these uh, neurological and psychiatric conditions, I've noticed that uh, th there's, there's an imbalance between the two. So there's too much glutamate. Also, it, the, the extreme end of the spectrum is called excitotoxicity. Um, it's seen in a lot of neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia. Uh, and then the lower end of the spectrum is, um, the severe, yeah, yeah. Um, th there's some cases of autism and, um, and, uh, schizophrenia where there's, uh, glutamate hypofunction. So it's, the glutamate's not functioning properly, but it's usually after uh, an occurrence with the excitotoxicity. So it, it's a homeostatic response to that initial excitotoxic uh, storm, to put it simply. So I, I started noticing that there was an overlap with the GABA and glutamate in uh, essentially everything that I was experiencing personally. And then a lot of these other factors that... Um, people in my life were struggling with as well. So I, I didn't just want to help myself, but I wanted to help them as well. So I, I was, I was researching pretty much all day and night when, uh, <laughs> and, uh my, my cognition could afford me. <laughs> 
Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that pretty much summarizes. I, I just keep going on. I'm sorry. No, no, it's, this is great. This is great. Um, and the two, I suppose the two things that I wanted to, to touch on were one, I thought it was an interesting connection between, uh, you write about retinal degeneration or, or like poor damaged vision and the symptoms of, of OCD or anxiety and things like that. And then in the symptom management, um, so many of the, the kind of protocols seem to be related to getting the right type of light exposure, which, which I, I find fascinating. And I've, um, I've been following some of the work from uh, Matt Marekka, who's the founder of Raw Optics, yeah. and just learning more about about junk light and and about the importance of it in our um in our, in our functioning. So, could you maybe share some of the the recommendations in of symptom management? Say someone listening and they they maybe experience uh, anxiety or or you know low levels of OCD. What might be some of the basic things that you'd you'd recommend? So. Uh... Matt Maruka and I have uh, studied the same doctor or a neurosurgeon called, his name is uh, Jack Cruz. I'm familiar with uh, Maruka's work as well. But um, so the, the main factors in terms of the retinal uh, degeneration into retinal, R-E-T-I-N-A-L, um, is uh, really minimizing your exposure to artificial blue light. So the LEDs, the fluorescent light bulbs, um, a lot of the phone screens and uh, laptop screens, computer screens, they're going to be set primarily to um, extremely high uh, isolated blue light output in terms of uh, the rest of the light spectrum. So the red, the green, uh, and the, the most screens and uh, artificial lights will lack UV completely. So... The isolation of the uh, the light spectrum is what causes the issue. So the the sun actually has blue light, but it's in combination with the the green, the red, the infrared, and the various uh, UVA and UVB throughout the entire day. The the, the light spectrum shifts throughout the day, but um, it's it's the full light spectrum that is uh, crucial to our health in general. So the isolated Blue light can cause degeneration of the eyes specifically, the mitochondria within the eyes, and then various components of the retina, uh, for example. And then, yeah, so minimizing your exposure in general, setting up uh, iris or uh, F-Lux on the computer or laptop. The iPhones have a built-in um, red light filter on them. Uh, there, there's you, you can search it up on Google with just red light filter iPhone and you should find a, a basic tutorial on how to put that up. There's an app on uh, Android, but I don't recall the name of that app. Um, yeah, I, I don't have an Android phone. Someone had uh, messaged me about it or commented on one of my tweets about an Android app for uh, the red light filter as well. So... You should be able to go to my, my Twitter page and just type in uh, Grimhood Android and it should be like the first result because I, I don't really talk about Android much. But <laughs> that that's a major factor. Uh, the blue light blockers I tend to wear anytime that I'm using technology as long as I'm inside or after sunset 
So you want to try to really eliminate all artificial light after sunset because that can cause uh, melatonin suppression. And then um, tell us all of these circadian clock mechanisms within the eyes, the brain, and the rest of the organs within the body that it's solar noon. That's the, the, the issue with the isolated blue light is it really causes uh, circadian dysregulation throughout the entire body. And then that can cause insulin resistance, uh, weight gain, glucose intolerance, uh, destruction of the gut microbiome, degeneration of various organs because they're no longer within um, the natural circadian rhythm. And uh, yeah, it, it has a, a massive downstream effect on the entire body. So when you wake up in the morning, you want to go immediately outside before you expose yourself to any artificial light. Get some sunlight from the sunrise directly. In, well, like don't, don't sun gaze um, if you don't know the exact times for that because you can seriously damage your eyes if, it's, if the UV light is present. But um, yeah, so the, the, the morning sunrise sunlight is uh, very important to set, setting the circadian clock mechanisms within the brain and the rest of the organs within the body. And then that also helps to jumpstart your neurotransmitter production across the board, hormones, thyroid hormones, as well as uh, uh, setting those circadian clock mechanisms. So that's that's really important in terms of uh, really balancing out the, the neurotransmitter systems. Uh, you want to have a, a protein and fat-based breakfast, possibly depending on your metabolic health with uh, seasonal fruits, vegetables, some carb source that is a natural, uh, natural whole food carb source. If your metabolic health permits it for breakfast, uh, about 30 to 60 minutes after your sunrise exposure, that will help to also set the circadian clock mechanisms, but also help to reset the leptin to ghrelin balance. So leptin is another factor in uh, metabolic health. It governs insulin, it governs hormones, and it also governs uh, various neurotransmitters like dopamine. Um, yeah, and then dur just during the daytime, I, I typically have the blue light blockers on along with the, uh, the red light filters on my laptop or my phone. Unless I'm outside, in which case I, you shouldn't wear the blue light blockers outside during the daytime at all. After sunset is fine. Don't wear them outside in the daytime because you still need that natural full light spectrum. Um, minimizing uh, the non-native electromagnetic radiation as much as possible. So like if you live in a major city, visiting the ocean if possible, or just grounding uh, barefoot on bare earth is uh, extremely beneficial in resetting the body's electrical capacity. Um, and then in, in terms of diet in general, you want to really focus on uh, whole food sources and try to avoid the uh, ultra-processed refined foods as much as possible. So what what I usually have people focus on is uh, seafood, shellfish, organ meats. There, there's some nuance to the organ meats in terms of uh, your retinol and copper levels, specifically for beef liver. Most other forms of organs are perfectly fine. Uh, eggs red or game meats, quality poultry is, uh, can be useful, pork or boar, um, 
quality dairy, seasonal fruits and vegetables, uh, tuber vegetables. And then depending on the metabolic health, uh, I've been a big fan of uh, white rice as well. Um, and then th- just just other simple carbs like uh, raw honey, coconut water. It, it really comes down to the metabolic health in terms of the, the carbohydrate recommendations. Because I, I do believe that a lower carb lifestyle is beneficial in terms of resetting the uh, metabolic health if it's extremely poor. But aside from that, the common supplements that people typically respond well to are things like the magnesium, either glycinate or chloride, oral or topical, uh, an amino acid called L-theanine. It is, um, it helps to regulate the GABA glutamate balance. It's very calming, but uh, it, it doesn't knock you out unless you take higher doses of it. And then there's another uh, sugar alcohol called inositol. So this one is produced within the body, but it's had extremely beneficial effects in uh, numerous people so far in terms of depression, anxiety, OCD, and then eat, like even uh, addictive compulses, and then uh, metabolic health as well. It, it helps to regulate the blood sugar and improve insulin sensitivity. So it's those are the three main factors in terms of the herbs. Most people respond well to black seed oil, which is a uh, extremely potent anti-inflammatory herbal oil. Uh, There's a multitude of other benefits that I've talked about on Twitter, but uh, the anti-inflammatory is most pronounced. And then there's other, it it really depends on the the context, but for the anxiety and the OCD, for example, uh, blue lotus, magnolia bark, oat straw, goto cola, and bacopa seem to have uh, a lot of benefit in in terms of the GABA and serotonin neurotransmitter systems for uh, mm-hmm. the people that have reported back so far. Amazing, <clears throat> amazing. So for for listeners, I'll I'll be including um, or attempting to include everything <laughs> that you're mentioning in the show notes, so people can can kind of do their own research and googling. Um, I, I'd love to just almost like highlight or, or double click on the importance of viewing sunrise and sunset. And um, for my wife and I, um, we've we've just moved to to Boulder recently, and we've <laughs> developed this like. <laughs> almost like nerdy reputation among friends. Like we bring our blue blocking glasses out for dinner. So if we're we're eating dinner out in the restaurant and it's past sunset, we're like wearing these blue blockers. And obviously like people ask like, why are you wearing these orange glasses? And it's been a good conversation starter. And, And I also noticed the difference for myself in that I feel calmer and I feel less kind of stimulated it's it's almost like a, it's like cbd for the eyes is how i think about it <laughs> yeah that, that's a good description <laughs> yeah uh I, i've had the same experience in terms of uh i always put them on in the evening as well after sunset and whenever we have friends nice. always, even my wife will clown me for it she says i look like a bug with the 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 big <laughs> <laughs> the glasses they have. And then, totally. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. And, and everyone that I, I've worn them around, like I'll wear them to a party sometimes and that strikes up a conversation. They're like, what the hell did you put those on? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, uh, 
the the, fir- the first week that I started wearing them, I, I fell asleep within about 15, 30 minutes max. Like I, the, mm-hmm. the prevention of the melatonin suppression from the artificial light into the eyes is, it's very significant. Like a lot of people yep. will say it's placebo, but, uh, I no. don't think it is. I really don't. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's definitely been my experience as well. Um, and then the, the last couple of things I want to touch on briefly, you mentioned in the protocol, uh, resistance training and also cold, like, uh, sorry, cold exposure or cold, or cold thermogenesis. Um, could you briefly just share how they're related to, to these as well? So the, uh, Resistance exercise specifically, um, it, it creates a very neurogenic environment within the brain and the nervous system. So it increases the neurotrophic factors. The main ones being uh, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, BDNF, nerve growth factor, NGF, uh, and glial-derived neurotrophic factor, GDNF. There, there's a multitude of other neurotrophic factors, but those are the three primary ones. So that helps to... Um, yeah, yeah, that helps to uh, make a more neuroplastic state within the brain and the nervous system to help make positive changes. And then it also helps to uh, shift the biochemistry in terms of more of a balance between the GABA and the glutamate. It helps to improve the dopamine and serotonin um, production and status in general. And then it also helps to shift um, or downregulate dynorphin expression from the COP opioid receptor which had, it influences the dopamine, serotonin, and GABA very negatively by inhibiting those neurotransmitters. So if anyone's ever experienced uh, salvia divinorum, that old uh, hallucinogenic herb that was going around for a while. A psychedelic, right? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard yeah, about it. Um, I've, not, I've not tried it. That, that's a very intense version or example of... Uh, what high dynorphin expression feels like. Now, mm. dynorphin is... I've heard it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it does not feel good. It, it's the high dynorphin expression is implicated in the anxiety, depression, addiction, PTSD. So stress, uh, specifically in this context, acute stress can increase this dynorphin expression. But then with this acute stress, like resistance exercise or cold exposure... Uh, sauna or heat exposure is also another good tool for, uh, down regulating this, but it, it causes, uh, a brief spike in the dynorphin expression and then it, it gradually begins to down regulate. And then that frees up the GABA, the d- dopamine and serotonin. And then it also just has beneficial effects on like metabolic health, your self confidence because you begin putting on muscle or losing weight. Um, and then it also strengthens the mitochondria within the brain, the cardiovascular system, and the rest of the body. So that's another factor that really influences uh, your biochemistry as well. So for the cold exposure, it's the primary benefit is the uh, 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 what is it called mitochondrial biogenesis. So the production of uh, the production of new mitochondria and the clearance of old or damaged mitochondria. It's a very useful tool for supporting weight loss. So you, you want to pair it with uh, improving your diet and exercise because it's not just going to make you lose weight with just uh, cold exposure in most cases. And then it also has a very potent anti-inflammatory effect. 
So again, with the inflammation, that's another factor in a lot of these psychiatric and neurological conditions is uh, very extreme inflammatory processes or cytokines within the brain and the nervous system. Got it. Okay, cool. That's, that's great. Um, and then the, the second protocol that I wanted to touch on, which I think there's, there's a lot of overlap here, but it's the one on depression. And I was wondering if you could, yeah, could you speak to, let's say someone listening uh, has, has intermittent depression or has depressive tendencies, what might be some of the, um, the kind of go-to suggestions or protocols that you'd recommend? So uh, a lot of that will overlap. Um, the, the zero tolerance dietary framework will apply to both the depression and the anxiety or OCD. Um, so that includes like, uh, none of the inflammatory triggers that are common in the standard American diet. Hold on just one second. So sucrose and artificial sweeteners, uh, GMO soy, GMO corn, and all of its derivatives. A lot of box food will come with a uh, GMO corn, whether it's labeled specifically as corn or not. Uh, grains can be very inflammatory for the gut, especially if leaky gut is present. So gluten specifically, but also in some cases, legumes or beans and nuts as well. Is that, is that through, through the lectin content? Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. industrialized okay. vegetable and seed oils, uh, the majority of people coming from a standard American diet will have a very high omega-6 to omega-3 ratio. You want to try to get it at least four to one, but one to one is uh, is uh, going to be the most optimal. Um, low quality commercial animals. If if all you can afford is like the cheaper beef or eggs at a grocery store, then that's better than going out to eat on with fast food or just like box food constantly so that that one can be uh context dependent alcohol caffeine smoke and recreational drugs in general these are all going to be very inflammatory to the entire body but specifically the brain the nervous system and the gut um the, the caffeine is also context dependent like if you're in a high stress uh biochemical state or an environment that the Cortisol and adrenaline activation from the caffeine can exacerbate that as well. Um, people that don't really have very much high stress, then it, it, it you can get away with uh, some caffeine intake. So it, it it's really context dependent for that one. But the overlap with the light, the natural versus artificial light exposure and uh, suppression is very important. The circadian key periods, so. Sunrise, sunset, and midday sunlight exposure with uh, meal timing around those times. Exercise during the daytime. You want to try to avoid it like too late into the night because uh, it it does act as a zeitgeiber uh, for setting the circadian rhythm as well. A zeitgeiber? I've never heard that word before. Uh, it's, it's a tool to uh, set their circadian rhythm. So light meal timing and exercise timing all influence their circadian rhythm and the circadian clock mechanisms within every organ within the body. Um, yeah. So in my experience, uh, I haven't noticed too much difference between like 
getting up in the morning and uh, lifting immediately outside or waiting until about like four, maybe six at the latest. Um, but uh, it, it does negatively impact my sleep if I, if I lift at like nine, 10 o'clock at night. I experimented a little bit in the timing there. But um, yeah, so it, it, just to continue there, the three main supplements, the magnesium, L-theanine, and Ostol have been very useful. Uh, one thing I did forget was uh, breath work. Breath work has been a, a really major tool because uh, oh, interesting. breath. When you say breath work, do, do, you, do you mean more um, pranayama-based practices? Yeah, or pranayama like in general, but uh, just like slowing okay. down your breathing and uh, really focusing on nasal breathing specifically with uh, breath holds especially. Uh, so when you exhale, you want to try to hold your breath for as long as you can. Um, that really helps to uh, improve all the processes within the body because we require the oxygen and the CO2 for all cellular respiration. So it, it influences many of the processes of the body, including the neurotransmitters. Um, yeah. And, and, and presumably increasing the CO2 tolerance as well. Yes. yes. Um, um, part of that. And then uh, just in general, uh, the, the herbs specifically to target the uh, neurotrophic factors or the neurogenesis and synaptogenesis will vary between each protocol. But uh, there's a lot of overlap with the herbs as well. Nice. Amazing. Um, and then the third protocol, and I, as I'm speaking, I'm realizing how kind of interrelated these three are, but I really liked your post on restoring mitochondrial function. Um, and in particular, just the way that you unpacked um, how essential <laughs> mitochondrial function is and, and that it is literally this like um, that our energetic factories within our bodies and how the accumulation of um, de- deuterium, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but but how that can accumulate through EMFs and blue light and these kinds of things. So maybe could you could you speak to the the mitochondrial function side of things as well, which is is obviously very related to um, preventing depression and, and anxiety and these things? Yeah, so uh, it it really comes back to um, Jack Cruz's theory of uh, the light, water, and magnetism. So the natural light is uh, sunrise, sunset and uh, midday sun, sunlight exposure. But we also need uh, DHA and other components within the eyes and the brain to set those circadian clocks. So the, the focus is typically on uh, higher DHA foods. So seafood, shellfish, crustaceans, grass-fed lamb, pasture-raised eggs. And then uh, most people are more prone to eating those. Animal brains are another source of the DHA, but... Uh, a lot of people are squeamish about animal brains. <laughs> um, so the, the DHA and the light is very important. There's other micronutrients that go into that. So um, the retinol, vitamin A, uh, vitamin D is very important, but for different reasons. Um, zinc, riboflavin, iodine, and magnesium, uh, magnesium taurine. Those are the primary ones in terms of uh, eye health and in terms of taking in the light properly. Um, The meal timing, the exercise timing influences the circadian rhythm. And then 
it, it's just a matter of uh, improving your environment as well. So like a lot of people are hyper fixate on just diet rather than diet and exercise, but they're living in a major city like LA or New York city where they're surrounded by 20 to hundred plus different uh, Wi-Fi connections. So they're just bathing in the non-native electromagnetic, electromagnetic radiation uh, all day long, all night long. So that can have a very negative impact on your health. Uh, you're specifically the mitochondrial uh, genome. So yeah, in, in, in terms of uh, general advice, th that would be the main thing. Uh, drinking a lot of quality water without uh, fluoride in it. So like spring mineral water, if you can't afford that, then reverse it. osmosis water is uh, the next best option. And then grounding is another uh, major factor in terms of improving your body's electrical capacity or the ability to take on uh, photons or electrons from the not only the, the earth itself, but the light as well and the food that you consume. So it's it's not called the uh, the protein, carbohydrate, or uh, fat uh, transport chain. It's called the electron transport chain. So it's uh, we take in a lot of these electrons from the light, uh, barefoot to bare earth, grounding, and then the food that we consume. It's it's more so the electrons and the micronutrients that process those macronutrients that a lot of people will just. Uh, really hyper fixate on uh, it just supplying your body with the uh, correct diet for yourself. It, it's going to be very dependent on your latitude and um, it, it can be dependent on your haplotype, but it, 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 it depends on the latitude more so because uh, the, the body, the human body is very uh, resilient and adaptive. So yeah, th th those would be the, the main factors eliminating the, the zero tolerance dietary framework that we reviewed, like uh, all the ultra processed foods, they can have a, a negative impact on the body that are very deuterium dense. Um, and then uh, cold exposure, uh, cold thermogenesis. So like uh, ice baths, cold showers, immersing yourself in natural bodies of water that are cold. Uh, that can have a positive impact on deuterium depletion. And then uh, the ketogenic diet does as well. Because a lot of the deuterium-rich foods are typically uh, plant or uh, fruit-derived foods. So animal fats specifically are very depleted of deuterium. That's why one of the main focuses of uh, Jack Cruz's work has been uh, this the cold water seafood specifically. Because um, it, it combines the animal fats with the, the cold water. So... That, that that's the the main basis to everything and um resistance and aerobic exercise can have a, a very positive impact on mitochondrial health right. um yeah th that's a good summary for now <clears throat> yeah that's that's fantastic and um so just before we jumped on, uh, we polled our, our respective twitter followers for for questions and things that they they'd like to hear he speak to. And one of the questions was, um, what do you consider to be the essential or maybe unconventional low hanging fruit of these protocols that, that most people can reasonably add into their daily routines? So perhaps another way of saying that is like of all of the things we've just spoken to, there's, there's obviously a lot there. 
like what might be a handful of things which listeners uh, might not already be doing, but you know could feasibly add into their their daily routines without too much effort. So the sunlight is always free. Uh, as soon as you wake up in the morning, <laughs> go outside, yeah. get some sun on your eyes and as much skin as you can legally expose. <laughs> um, right, right, and 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 presumably, say if someone's living in Scotland or somewhere where it's very cloudy, uh, they're still getting exposure to. Maybe they just have to stay outdoors longer if they can't actually see the sun. Is, yes, is that yes. So uh, the, the the body is uh, very intuitive. It, we've evolved with the circadian rhythm for the, the initial uh, animal and bacteria species. They evolved the circadian rhythm about 4 billion years ago. So we've evolved with this natural circadian rhythm. The body is very intuitive. So you should still, regardless of whether it's cloudy, snowy, you should still be going outside and for the sunrise, midday and sunset. At least start with the sunrise. That's going to be the most important and probably the easiest um, for the majority of people, at least. Uh, and that, that'll have the most noticeable impacts as well. But um, when you do so, try to just get outside barefoot if you can, if it's not snowing or it, if it is snowing, uh, try to try to get barefoot, but uh, not, not get frostbite. So there's going to be a fine balance on the, on the, on the individual there. Um, yeah. So you're still going to be getting some of the light spectrum, even if it's cloudy or snowy, but um, it is not going to be like the full light spectrum. If it was uh, like just uh, clear skies and everything. But you're, you're, you're still going to have a positive impact in terms of your circadian rhythm. So the sunrise exposure, improving the diet, just even if you don't implement the zero or zero tolerance dietary framework, including some of those foods that I, uh, that I described, the very nutrient dense foods to your diet will have a major impact. And then that, that should give more motivation in terms of changing the diet once they begin to notice that uh, dietary improvements actually make a difference. Um, and then for the majority of people, if you don't have like a kidney disease or severe metabolic dysfunction, implementing a magnesium supplement typically has, it's it's cheap and then it also has a very noticeable benefit in terms of people's sleep and energy levels and mood throughout the day. Those are the the three basic ones that I would begin to implement and then uh resistance exercise like if, if you can get to a gym or just even body weight exercises outside or within your home it's that's going to make a, a major difference in terms of uh your mood and general health as well so four four uh suggestions there amazing <clears throat> that's seems very actionable and practical from my point of view um, and on, on the magnesium supplement uh, one, I, I noticed on Twitter that you're launching a product called Magpop. Uh, <laughs> do you want to share a bit more about that? So I can't say much until launch, but um, it will be a magnesium-based healthy soda alternative. I, I've been talking about uh, formulating that type of idea for the last few years, but um, it's finally being set into motion. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. All right. Well, we'll stay tuned for that. Um, well, this has been, this has honestly been an absolute pleasure. Um, where could, where could curious listeners learn more about you and your research and these protocols and, and maybe ask you questions? 
what's the best place for them to, to head to? So, um, I, I do have a Twitter page, uh, twitter.com slash grimhood, G R I M H O O D. And then, uh, I'm also active on my Patreon, which is patreon.com, G R I M M S A P O T H E C A R Y, Grim's Apothecary. Um, yeah, th- th- those are going to be the most places that I'm, uh, the two places that I'm most active in. I do have an Instagram, but I don't use it very often. So th- th- those <laughs> would be the, the two platforms. Likewise. Okay, perfect. Well, I'll include all of those links in the show notes and I will do my best to summarize uh, what you've shared today um, because there's just been a wealth of yeah, wealth of knowledge and distilled research. And, and I'd also say to listeners that for the cost of, of $10 a month or, or whatever pledge tier they choose, it, it really is a worthy investment to get access to, to all of this research. Um, so thank you for, for putting this out there and making this publicly available. Thank you. It was very nice talking to you. Uh, yeah. So I'd love to close with the, there's a line from the poet Rilke and he said, Try to love the questions themselves and live them now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live your way into the answer. With that in mind, what is a question that is most alive for you right now? And what question might you leave our listeners with? Hold on just one second. I'm sorry, could you repeat that? You couldn't hear that. Yeah, sure. What is the question that is most alive in your consciousness right now? Right now, and what question might you leave our listeners with? So every morning that I wake up, I try to ask myself, what can I do to improve myself and the world around me and the people around me? And then I take action to do so. Beautiful. All right. Well, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. It would mean a lot to me if you could take a few seconds to open up your podcast app and give Curious Humans a shiny five-star rating. This not only helps more people to find it, but it will help me to get more awesome guests in the future. And if you're not already subscribed, then the Curious Humans newsletter is where I share monthly morsels of interestingness and podcast updates. You can sign up for that at johnny.life. That's J-O-N-N-Y dot life.